Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, everybody known. Uh, we are back. The the chosen one is born. My my our daughter Leave is here and healthy in the world, doing great. Uh, thank you for the outpour from everybody keeping up with us and our our weird baby hyper pride that we have going on that doesn't go away, by the way. Uh, for instance, <laughs> I'm happy she puked on me today. I was actually really thrilled because um, she looked like she was very relieved and you just get up and wash your hands and change your shirt. I mean, it's that simple. Um, <laughs> a miracle childbirth. It's really a sweet and awesome thing. And I know it's always awkward. I was on the other side too when you didn't have a kid and you were like, oh, dear God, another one joined the cult. Uh, that's, that's what it's always like. Yeah, it is like that. Like I'll be the one to tell you right now that it, it, it changes you. It's that simple. Um, uh, some call it a maturity. Some call it just life moving forward. I'll tell you what it is. As a human being in the world, you are geared for procreation in some variety. Whether it's a favorite pet that you choose to raise like your own because you're not having kids or what have you, these maternal and paternal instincts take over. And when they do, man, and when you have a real human being, let me tell you, you say you're prepared. You read and watch and research and talk to everybody. You're not ready for the culture. You're not ready for everybody with a kid to come tell you how to take care of your kid. You're not ready for your friends or a single to like look at you like you caught the bug, right? <laughs> or to come, you're like, can we come and pet the child? Like, pet? No, you can come and hold my daughter, though. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, you get that mentality. All that stuff happened. But it's a, it's a wonderful blessing, the whole experience. And that's, and that's what it is. So enough about that. You're here. To talk about Requiem, Dance, Macabre, <laughs> or Macabre, if you prefer. Um, dance of the Dead is what it means, man. And of course, I'm joined here by my man, Mike. How you doing, Mike? What's up? What's up? I'm good. I mean, he's, he's been chuckling. I know you've been hearing that, but uh, it's, uh, I want to say it's a joy. I know DJ will come stumbling in here at some point, uh, hopefully. Uh, but traffic in New York is ever a pain in the ass, so um, some things never change. Um, but what I will say... Mike, you had to have some type of feeling about the the dance of the dead here. Now, I want to say this book is is an interesting book. I got to say interesting because the author kind of writes like a from that time period with CCG. It just seems like I don't know if you got this impression that they all read the IP and saw what they were doing and eventually got to a point where they were like, fuck it. Let's just make books the way we want to. Yeah, well, and, you know, Achilles got a foreword in there, and it basically says that. Like, it's not super clear on what's going on with the company, but it's totally like, eh, we're tired of doing this thing we've been doing, and instead we're going to do what we want to do. <laughs> it is it is interesting, right? But the, here's the refreshing part of it. This book is chock-filled with ideas that you could see. Most likely, they would have turned into something in that moment. 
And like, you know, and in a future planning sense, since we know how this stuff is laid out, it's always the future of what this is going to be and where they're looking to go. And you're always perfecting your craft. It has always been said from old school to Chronicles, there was always an improvement upon the creature we're trying to play and the different themes and stuff we're dancing with. And you wonder what those are going to be. This book is chock filled with great ideas on on how to do a lot of those things. We're going to get to some of them today. Uh, but I promise you, we're not going to get to all of them. We're not even going to get to half the book today. And I'm going to tell you that. Um, normally, we would digest the whole book like this. But just as a reminder, um, folks, we got a Patreon for that. What we do is, is we'll start it here and have the discussion. Me and Mike will probably carry this discussion for the rest of its content coming in the next two weeks to release for our patrons only. Uh, why we do that is because this public one is to wet your whistle, let you know what the book's about, get that out there, whether you should get it at all. And hopefully you're like, yeah, sounds great. I'll check it out. And then you get that. But for our lucky patrons, uh, we thank you for your support. And as part of that, thank you. We continue the discussion so you can hear it and hear all the ideas and all the flavor and respond and hopefully get answers in real time. Um, so that said, Mike, I want to turn this over to you since we know this book is basically just ideas of how to do Requiem differently. And that's what it is, straight up. You said right before we hit record here that you felt some type of way about it. What did you mean? Um, so this this is another one of those um, mind-blown books for me, right? Because it is full of all of the sort of things that I had to learn how to try to improvise in the moment that the idea kind of just comes to me. Is there a way I can roll this? Is there a way I can do this in an unexpected way for my players? Is there something mechanically I can offer to make this idea I just had in the moment more interesting? This book is 200 plus pages of that, right? It's just full of it's like some it's like reading somebody's dream journal. <laughs> you know you know what I'm trying to say? It's so like it's it's some Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think I know what you're trying to say, but please finish your thought. It's it is like if some mythical ST who's sitting there with his brilliance at the table is just on the fly coming up with solutions and ways to make something that might be abstract, simple with dice and a basic idea, except miraculously while he was coming up with the solutions, they were also perfectly recorded by the authors of this book. That's the best way I can describe it. That's high praise. That's real high praise. And uh, that's, that's something definitely going to hold. Um, Typically, I would give a comment to that um, only because, you know, to ground it a bit. Uh, When I saw the beginning of this book, I did have a perception where I was like, I already know this. When it comes to them, they start talking about the different ways to do Requiem. You're like, you, this isn't new. And I don't know why it's here. However, I had to back it up a lot of steps. And I said, hey, man, you, you've been doing 25 years of Vampire Masquerade for a couple of years, man. You've been reviewing all this stuff. And plus STing on top of it with players and been involved in all that. So if, what, what's going to be new to you? However, if somebody's new to the genre... Well, yeah, if you haven't seen it or heard it, it's going to be new to you. But what do you do with that new? And how do you articulate it is the way I do it. And, I, and that's what I would say was that the ideas here were articulated better. But there's a reason for that. 
not only were the, some of the creators here tapped for it, you also had people who worked as a team and worked as a team for a while and worked well uh, to edit and go over it and streamline those thoughts. Because I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think a lot of this was sit in a room and spitball and enjoy some snacks and we're going to spend all day getting paid on the clock to figure out a way to make this book. But it was a book that they didn't have to research in depth because they knew the material they put out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're talking about material you're already made and you're trying to think of ways you could make it better, I'm willing to bet that's an easy discussion to have. That's a lot of fun to go through as a thought experiment and then keeping the top ideas. Yeah, certainly every author who's participated in one of these great big book projects, um, like when it's all said and done, it's all been wrapped up. They look back and they say, wish I could have done this. Wish I could have had a chapter on that. This this feels like you get to correct all of your wish I could have added right from the past of your previous previous work. I love this book if it's not obvious. I'd agree. And it looks like our filler buster worked, Mike, talking about what this book is, because on time. How you doing, DJ? Hey, everyone. <laughs> he's, just, he's just shaking his arms. OK, OK, fair enough, fair enough. It's nice to see you, man. Um, Hey, I want to say off the bit, I'm sorry. I know getting through traffic in New York's a pain. Um, it's just, you know, I have I have whip cracking in the best of ways when, uh, you know, baby need to sleep with daddy. I could hear you got it. Mom's doing her best. So I'm like, I'm like, let's record as we can. So I appreciate you getting out here you got uh, it. a little early, man. Thank you. Of course. Uh, but where we got to, we didn't leave you behind. We were talking about what this book is, the uh, Dance of the Dead here, Dance Macabre, mm-hmm. or Macabre, as I called it. And uh, Mike just got said it felt like a, a, a dreaming think tank of fantastic ideas that somebody caught and put to print. What was your uh, generalized uh, take on the book? My generalized take on the book was it was the remix. Um, and it's funny because it's a, there's a lot of times that when we talk about Requiem and every book that we've spoken about right up to now, we're like, it's always a toolbox, right? It's like, oh, man, it gives you so much room to play with things. And then they were like, wait, if you thought that was it, there's a lot more. And to be honest, a lot of the things that I saw in this book were things that you and I have already discussed in the past. And it just was like, where do we read this? Was this (laughs) our thought? Like, was this us really thinking about it? Did the inception get pulled? Or was it that it was printed out and we read this and we forgot that it got printed out? Um, But I thought it was the remix because it was it was refreshing to a certain degree. And uh, this is uh, where we're starting into those book of books of Requiem where I own and never read. Mm-hmm. Like there was a point where this just died, right? Where nobody had interest and that was that. And uh, that was that was this for me. And I was like, man, what a dumbass because because I, I actually like this book. And we're going to get to some of it now. Uh, but DJ, just to, just to catch you up, since I know you were like, don't forget me. And we're here. Um, we're going to go through part of it and we're going to finish the rest on Patreon. So mm-hmm. that's where everyone's going to get the actual totality. Uh, but for right now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the new ways to play Vampire Requiem. Now, before you, those of you who know this book well and love it, um, yes, there is a story they tell in here that they add to the big saga of Chicago by night in their fiction. And and it's written by Greg Stoltz, if I got that correct. Right. And uh, it's so you know it's good. Greg does a great job. Uh, with a lot of his a lot of fiction he has read, I've enjoyed it. Um, and this doesn't do it uh, disservice. It's just where it's it's honestly it's not the focus of the book. It's uh, definitely a cool throw-in, and that's kind of the intention. When you read the introduction that they wrote here, which is so hysterical, it's the it's the same thing where they're like going, "Hey, enjoy the story," but here's the content. And uh, so, what can we find in this book? First off, new ways to play Requiem. They have alternate rules with Requiem. They have alternate ways to look at, at the covenants, alternate ways to look at the clans, um, a different way to play humanity, definitely a way to play humanity for elders, which we're going to get to a little bit today, um, and so much more. 
It is literally like if you like the term atrocity dice and that gets you to peek your peaks your ears. One of them might mention it. That's not for me. I was to save that for the for the Patreon when we get that's there. But I won't stop anyone from being super excited because I enjoyed the term, the idea, and I actually wasn't too too put off when I read it. So I digress though. So we're gonna dive into this just to crack it open a bit so we can get to what we're talking about. And if we get through fast enough, we'll add some more in there because we definitely like this book. Have a lot of stuff we can add to what we've been going through with it. Um, so off the bat, when it talks about new ways to play Requiem, what it's talking about. If you've never slowed down and thought about how, honestly, vampires made, how you've been playing vampire, you would never think to look at it this way. Now, to me, it was always the thought, because how do you do it as a storyteller and not think of all the all the things that go into it? But for some people, that was too much, too big, and they, they had their own way of approaching it, and all of them are good. But what they did was they took all that and they actually made it a mechanic and a blueprint so you understood what it was that you may have been doing. And in this, one particular method is called the encompassing model. This is where you take the neonates, and the focus is the neonates. And in, in a chronicle like this, you would say, all right, so all the players are going to be even, at least around the same power level. Um, they're not going to have to worry about a whole lot that comes with this other than the starting level. Their day-to-day is going to be feeding and survival and getting used to being a human transitioning to being a vampire. And, and this style is all about being that vampire. However, the neonate's going to have some challenges, right? Because the encompassing model does it in three tiers, not just one. And so the other two tiers that it shares here, if the neonate's tier one, tier, t- tier two is Ancilla, Tier three is the elders. Now, the all of Requiem's written from a tier two perspective. That's the Ancilla. That is literally vampiric society. That's exactly what they mean. What could happen in vampiric society if it's Ancilla dancing around and ruling the world and doing their thing? Now, why I'm kind of just going through this is because I want to open it up to discussion as soon as we can, because this is going to be something that's going to take up some time. And uh, but I'm taking the encompassing model because it's the most boring one to be fair, uh, because you guys already know this. Your typical vampire game, your storyteller made some elders, usually as NPCs, sit on a council or whatever it is, and or an anarch, whatever, gang rules everything with a baron or however you want to do it, or you have a covenant uh, that's ruling everything. However you do it, there's a hierarchy. And that hierarchy's in existence, and there's some of the old, but they're not the young. Then you have the Ancilla, which are the movers and shakers. That's where you want your focus to be typically. And they're going to run around and do stuff. However, with this encompassing model, it, the focus shifts. You may have some players that are neonates and then some that are in Scylla, probably the majority in Scylla, and then a few elders. And this enables you to kind of go through the entire model. Your LARPs, your longstanding reoccurring LARPs have this model. They almost have it by default because you, you're going to have a player. Even if you start it all even, eventually attrition happens and enough people die and have to start new that the people who didn't die, those are now your Ancilla. Play the game long enough, suddenly they're your elders by power level, if nothing else. And this forces the ST to update the encompassing model that they're already in. However, there's some negatives with that. Um, What are some of the pitfalls you guys see using the encompassing model that you've experienced? Some of the negatives that I've seen uh, on my particular end using the encompassing model is... It's like herding kittens, to, to be quite honest, because your players will always want to move outside of the box, right? Even as neonates, we'll even use the neonate model. And to be honest, to kind of give you some more scope on it, 
This book mentions that you start off as an Ancilla, or at least the Ancilla model is what it, the book was kind of written as. But in all reality, and up to including myself, I always put myself in the neonate model, right? And the reason why I say that is because you're introdu- most of the time you're trying to introduce new players into the game. You're not really playing too often with vets, or at least in my experience. And then what happens is people want to play as neonates, but within the reach of the city. How can they impact the city? Whereas in this book, it tells you you'll want to scale back. And if you really want to play the neonate model, then you're really playing your day-to-day. Maybe it's telling you to focus in, but let's also be honest. A lot of us just want to punch outside of our weight and say we want to take on that big, great elder, even though we're neonates. We'll get more into that there because the encompassing model, it does point out the uh, the, the neonate tier where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a next, the next model I think is more what, I'm going to tell you what they said to make sense of it. Because I took that take and it took me about two times to go through it before I went die, see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're similar, right? But there is a point in perspective of divide. Uh, what about you, Mike? Did you have a similar experience with the encompassing model? Yeah, I'm very, very similar to DJ. And it's, for in my experience, it hasn't always been something large in scale, right? It's not always a coterie that gets together and they think they can tackle something that they just can't. It might be an individual who just gains access to some mentor or spends their XP on some discipline or encounters some NPC that they want to develop a relationship with or that they push their luck with and they don't realize they're punching so far above their weight that I'm going to have to give them more than they want. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to deal yeah. with that new experience, right? And so when you're when your tears start bleeding into one another, there's always an interesting little dance you have to play to keep it fun. And so here's the thing about this encompassing model. Um, even though this is what the game is basically based on, you're going to do this. They, they walk you into building a chronicle like this. Um, unless you can do a small intimate game and then you can you can do it as you will. Why you're drawn to the encompassing model and everybody enjoys it is because your fiction is written to an encompassing model. It doesn't stay focused on just the neonates. It gets big because you like big stories and big events and big things going on. Whether to witness them or be a part of them, that's what you want to do. However, this book is near and dear to my heart because it says flat out, you know what? It's not for everybody, but choose your own poison. But what I took from that was you absolutely always have players who play the neonates that get pissed off that the ancilla are better. And then you have the Ancilla that don't understand why they alone can't take on an elder. And then you have those elders who don't want to ruin anybody's time, good time, because they could really crush the people underneath them and whatever. But the simple fact is, your neonates are meant to have a nightmarish time adapting and, and getting into vampiric society. That's on purpose. It's to effect. And the reason being is because they're humans trying to figure out why we can't get a piece of the vampire pie. And the simple solution is, is because you're not human. And you don't get that yet. And until you get that, where do you know how to act, what to behave, and what to do? And so your Ancilla are basically neonates who know how to hide the bodies they just fed on. They know how to wipe their bottom after they've had a boo-boo. Right? They could change their own diaper. They don't need it anymore. And so they're capable of walking around and actually getting at something or building something. But if they get too big for their britches, adults are going to come around and show them what it means to be an adult. If you're going to stand up and swing on somebody, you better be prepared to reap the whirlwind is what that is. And if the analogies are too much, and you're listening to it. Basically what it says, if you think the points you the old adage, and I love this. If you are embraced, you are never going to be able to take on your sire. That is written fiction bullshit. A story has to be written to where you can 
get one over on your sire. Otherwise, it will never happen. Not in a mechanic sense. It doesn't even make sense. Your sire has been around for how long? So unless they're just exactly a year old and someone screwed up and told them how to embrace, odds are you're not on an even keel. They're stronger. They're faster. They're more, they're more predatory. They know more tricks than you. It's that simple. In order for you to get that sire, it has to be a truly dynamic reason and story. And, sh- and by, by no means is it easy. And it's going to take you much to do so. But that's for eternity. I don't care if you go from a neonate to an ancilla. That means your sire is at least an elder. But what if your sire started in an elder <laughs> and you're still climbing? Right? That's a frightening prospect. This whole society is built on you serving. That's what it comes down to. And there's no choice. And But there is a reason for that. And the reason is very simple. It is all about the ego and the id. It is your instinct and your ability to conform in a new environment, new society. We as human beings, that's how we operate. We need to know where our place is and how to fit in. So when you look at this encompassing model, does that not naturally fit with what we know in the real world? Mm-hmm. If I'm just starting off in a career sense and I get from home, odds are my first apartment is a shitty apartment, but it's mine. Mm-hmm. I turned the lights on. I got AC. I shopped a week's worth of groceries. And man, was that not cheap. But you know what? At least it's mine. I got a mattress on the floor. And hopefully I got to bring my entertainment system. And that thing's at least doing something for me. And that's it. But that's all you start with. It takes a while for you to get under your feet and understand your opportunities and move up to that Ancilla doing well level where now I got couches and furniture and whatnot. And I have <laughs> up, someone moved in with me and I'm figuring out the social strata life and all that other nonsense. And then one day you're an elder. You're more than in a job. You're running shop and you have degrees and you have lots of money and a house you bought. You get the idea. So that's why this encompassing model sings to you. But to jump off of that, because I definitely know we've hit all points on that, because that's by design. Um, we, we go to the, the exclusive concept uh, method. And what this is, is one tier only. It is all that exists in the game. And this is unique. And this is what I was saying to you, uh, DJ, and I'm going to set you up for this, too, to mm-hmm. get back at it if you'd like to rebuttal here. Um, when you do this, you say, I'm going to focus on one tier. For instance, Neonate. We'll go with that. And we say, from a Neonate's perspective, there will be no Ancilla in this game. There will be no elders in this game. It is only neonates that exist in this world. We don't ever bring up Ancilla. We don't ever bring up on it and bring up elders. What do you guys think about that? I think it's bullshit. Um, in a good way, but I think it's bullshit. If I'm playing, if I'm telling a story that's for neonates only, I guarantee you, Right, somebody is going to be Kane the taxi driver, or Smiling Jack is going to be the bouncer at some bar that you and the local anarchs just happen to frequent. And he's going to be super cool, and you're never going to see him burning wrath somebody through the chest, right? But part of the dance macabre to me is that these people who are interested in what vampires are doing are there their interests might be hidden from you, but it would be very, very strange, especially in a urban environment for them to not be there at all. So I think that the interesting play that I would want to offer in that one tier game is not that the other tiers aren't there, but that you can't see them much. What more do fun you think, DJ? 
I think um, initially my initial reaction upon reading it, and I remember when I read it the first time, was it's impossible. Much like Mike says, it's just like with everyone wants to touch a piece of the pie. It, it makes no sense to play a game where you can't see where the enemy's coming from. But, you know, whether it be once again an ancillary, whether it's an elder, or not even an elder, but just something beyond you, right? Because strife is what kind of makes your story kind of grow. But in retrospect, you know, being older and with V five coming out. And noticing what they did with how neonates take front and center, you say to yourself now, or at least I said to myself now, how, you know, it, it's not impossible to run a game like this because this is the game that you were trying to run in the first place to put a focus on it. You just didn't put the spotlight on them. You were too busy just putting the spotlight on the world, right? So now looking upon it as well, if I was to run using this kind of model, um, it gives me a better focus. And once again, this is me reflecting upon stuff that I read, right? Because it obviously changes. But I see where I could reflect more on the focus within that one tier itself rather than trying to encompass the world and then just make the players a slice of life in it. So if I, if I tell you the attributes of this, just to let everybody know, because um, I, I jotted some down because I think it's worth noting. Um, with no elders and no Ancilla, there's freedom for you to be the vampire you intended. The concept of the human being embraced is now playable. Where normally it's like hurry up and adjust and keep up and get along because one of the players is going to be more competent than you moving up the hierarchy. And there's almost a competition there with what goes on because you want to hurry up and be an Ancilla, but you are ignoring the vampire experience by doing so. I want you to think about a game where you started playing and a storyteller was describing to you your first frenzy. Can you remember those moments, what it was like to, to to roll dice, to be educated through how you would stalk your prey and find them and what it meant to do so and having a method and, you know, were you going to seduce them away from everyone or did you just grab someone and stuff them in a car and then, you know, you're, I'm going to eat you in a second, you know, and drive away and <laughs> dominate, sit still and wait to be eight, you know, or whatever you did, your <laughs> vampiric method, you had to grow naturally. And what always happened somewhere during that encounter, you frenzy. It was inevitable. It's geared for that because the neonate doesn't understand. It is hard for the if if you were embraced right now, this is anybody, and you were put in a state where now you're dead. You just know you're dead. You don't think of yourself as a monster. That's ridiculous. Oh, I feel these urges. Of course you do, but your first response is not to go, okay, well, now I'm this thing. Now I guess I'm a monster now and I better get used to my my shtick. What else can I do? Let's figure it out. Bullshit. Bullshit. Being a neonate's about the emotional experience. There's the shock that you can't hear your heartbeat or you don't breathe anymore. There's the fact that your limbs don't hurt anymore for being in a certain position for too long. How about your thoughts don't race anymore? There's no chemical reaction to get them to dance anywhere. You think, therefore you are, becomes a thing. How is it sharper and clearer, but yet this gnawing sensation in your gut tells you you're hungry, but you don't know for what yet. And you go to your fridge, look at your favorite food you didn't finish, and you're no interest in it. And it's even repulsive, and the sense is off and everything else. But when your roommate comes walking in the room and says, hey, man, we ready to go to that movie? And you smell him or her, suddenly, oh, man, you get your hunger's peaked? What do you think? You jumped and ate him? Hmm. No, you, you fucking left. It's, it's time for a doctor's appointment. I love players who do that. I'm calling my doctor. Like, I need a checkup. I don't know what the hell's going on. What happened? I don't know. I had some wild dream about some lady of my dreams coming home with me from the bar last night. I can't remember. And now I, uh, 
I don't know, man. Like, it's weird. I can't get my pulse. This thing reads that. I have a room temperature, and it's, it's well below 98.6, man. It was 62 out today. Tonight, it's about 55. I mean, it's weird, but that's my temp. And the doctor hangs up the phone. <laughs> right, but why would he hang up the phone? That's weird, right? Or worse, tells you to come on in because he doesn't believe you. I'll see you in the morning, Bob. We'll figure it out. But you get the idea. That experience, that whole roller coaster, the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment, is to instill the feelings to get you to role-play the emotions of that transition and acceptance of what you are. That's the whole point. It has a very Vampire Diaries feel, in my opinion. Like, you can almost see that the WB wrote the script for this game for what happens because there's no big evil bad vampire coming in to ruin your time because it's not about that and a way to help you look at it because i thought about it too and i said to be honest do you think the ancilla give a shit about some neonate trying to adapt we all do it they're not going to notice you until you can swim until then you're just another guppy moving around doing whatever some elder didn't take care of you right but nowhere did it say that you playing in a neonate game you couldn't take the advantages that say you were set up by your sire to do well what this is saying is, is that your sire doesn't intervene with your process. That it is just you, just like every other player. This also adds the fact that not just this alone, we're also doing a thing where you're going to be moving forward and, and encountering other vampires that are also neonates, but they might be with a clique that got their shit together, but think differently than you. Imagine being a clique from the city running into the gangrel that are between point A and point B, and they're going to fleece you down for whatever you got. But you know out of game, they're just like you. They're they're no more powered than you are. But the different emotional experiences there, they've been through hell. You know they have. As gang girl, they've given in instincts probably. They just don't use them as sharply. Or or they don't care about their human side being that, and they're just to the violent aspects. Black and white, give me what you got, because that's all they can hold on to for right now. And what are you going to do? That stuff makes a neonate focus almost worth playing and going through there to save that, in my opinion, because basically you're fighting to remain human and your place amongst them is what your focus should be. And you're trying to get rid of that. So now if I played said gangrel, my focus as a player is to not become what that pack of gangrel are out there. That someone needs to resist it. So, you know, it's almost like a game where you're playing the first vampires ever walk the earth, but you're neonates. Mm-hmm. What would that have been like? What was their night? And how does that work? So it becomes interesting. Um, so anyway, um, that's just playing Neonates itself. I could definitely see the tier doing that. The, the Ancilla, I'm going to do everybody a favor. You already know this. You play this. The focus of Ancilla, very rare for a storyteller to use an elder to come in and ruin your night because they know that's what it does. Ultimately, in your story, the focus is typically on the Ancilla in their night society. Rinse and repeat. But what are they looking to do? Well, it's predator and prey dynamics. It's a hierarchy that you now have to learn as a player exists for the people of this age bracket and how to get along. It's a new social norm. And you're not human at all anymore. In fact, I like how the book says you're somebody who was aware you used to be human, but you are definitely a monster now. And you just wear human as a skin. That's (laughs) it. You pretend at it. However, sometimes you pretend so good that gets you into trouble all its own. And that's, that's kind of the fun of being an Ancilla. However, we're not going to exhaust that. We're not going to exhaust talking about it because what I want to talk about, and I jumped right to the quick here and highlighted it because I think it's worth it. How badass do you guys think blood tier, taste of family, and blood sympathy rules are? 
to be focused on in a chronicle? Well, I think they are for the people who came for that sort of feeling. Like, okay, so something close to the front of my mind right now, when you were talking about the neonates and there's a point in the text where like they get to the little rules modifications you can make when you're playing at that tier of the game. Um, neonates can spend a little bit of extra time in the sunlight, stuff like that. Um, I think that blood sympathy is for somebody who came to my table seeking a deep emotional connection between themselves and NPCs and or other members of their coterie. Right. So fun. Yes. But for a particular type of game, I think it's what I'm driving at. I don't think I get what you're driving in other than it seems like you have a dislike of it. No, no, no. I don't have a dislike of it. It seems specialized is what I think I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think everybody I'm going to play with or everybody I'm going to try to storytell for is going to care. Does that make that make more sense? It, 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 they don't care because the ST doesn't care. I'm going to say that right now. You wound me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm being honest. The reason why the reason why people don't care, it, it shocks me that a lot of people play Requiem. And I know we went over it. We talked about it. Exactly mm-hmm. what a blood tie is. Exactly what a, In fact, we'll do it again. We'll do it again real quick. What a blood tie is, is that if you are two gens, I believe it's by two gens, uh, within two of a particular vampire, whether it's your grandsire, your grandchild, or however that works out, within two, you're able to affect them with your powers easier. That's what it is. It's the strength of the blood, but it doesn't end there. It's also a thing where taste of family is where you can taste the blood of another vampire and actually discern what clan, if they're part of your lineage, um, things like that. And that's that's a cool effect. And then uh, blood sympathy is even more interesting. That's where someone in your lineage can be in dire trouble or throes of passion or anger. And depending on how close you are to them, you can sense those very emotions. I, mean, I can't think I'm the only person that thinks that shit is awesome. No, I think the exact same way, too, because in Requiem, we, we've also stated this before, and we'll probably stumble across this a little bit later in the cast, not during our Patreon, but your cities are so isolated to begin with, right? Which is one of the reasons why I like Requiem is because you are in that quote-unquote gilded cage because no vampire ever wants to strike out. So knowing that and you know, playing through a couple of games where we have the sympathy there's no possible way your sire doesn't care about you, right? Because of that sympathy itself, they know when you're in trouble and when you're not. And even if you don't think your sire cares about you, they might. And even though you don't think you care about your sire either, when something bad happens, you can't help but get that call. And then now it creates a story element, right? Do you care or do you not care? Because if you if your sire's in trouble and you chose not to care, it's not like any other vampire doesn't feel this either. Right. <laughs> if you, you spread it to them, it's like, oh, my sire's in trouble. You, you're not going to do anything about this or vice versa. And I think it makes it more romanticized um, because you get to feel that much more because it gives you more of a reason to interact with someone you normally wouldn't. And it only goes to show you're not that far away from your maker unless you are. And even when you are, you're never that far away because blood is everything. And it should. And, and so what it does is it highlights the fact that your blood means something. <laughs> Your blood means something. Who made you mean something? Your lineage means something. 
And because of that, and you're tied to it, you feel a part of something. So you never feel like you're just alone on your own island and nobody will help you and no one has interest. And I'm overwhelmed as a player and I don't think there's anything I can do or anyone I can go to or any help I can ask for or help anyone or whatever the case may be. It gives you that personalization that is just missing. Now, that's always been in Requiem, but in an ancilla tiered game where it's about vampiric society, this is enhanced. And how this plays out, and particularly I really like blood sympathy, is if you were in some social court talking to the wrong people, to me, I think it's great that you would feel an impulse of somebody being very angry with what you're about to do or who you're by, and you don't know why, because they were they were poor at concealing how they felt to see you with someone, and now you are trying to zone in on it and figure out what that feeling is, almost on a predatory level. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard complaints, folks be like, oh, man, we're not psychics, but aren't you? I mean, no offense, you're a supernatural entity that's a monster that is intimate with your prey. It only makes sense that the blood, when you get in and play with it, it does so much more than just sustain you. And indeed it does. It goes beyond the disciplines and it goes beyond healing. You know what I mean? There's other things. So if you can believe in the magnificent, this is small potatoes. This is icing on the cake that just adds depth to the role play you could do. Now, I get what you were what you were saying, Mike, but uh, do you... Do you see it a little different or do you still say, nah, I just think that it's a thing that, you know, if you want it, great, it's there. If not, move on. I, th- I haven't heard anything I disagree with. I think what I, the only thing I was driving at is that I, I imagine I'm going to get. OK, it's for me. It, you know how there's those people who don't want to do feeding scenes. Uh-huh. They don't see the, they don't see the value in learning their particular hunting style, understanding particularly how that predator feels when he's actually hungry, as opposed to just going out for a bite. I see it as similar with the blood tie stuff. There's going to be a guy who doesn't want that from me or who, who, who complains about it. Cause so I can see and appreciate the, the bridge that it should create. It feels like the sort of thing I pull out for the person who wants that relationship. So I'm, I'm explaining to you when a person doesn't want to do a feeding scene, but they, you know, whatever. I know how to feed. Don't take me through it. Immediately what I do is I go, that's great. Well, then what is your character's feeding method so we can roll that that dice up? Mm, because mm. either way, we're getting a result of your feeding. Whether we're talking you through the scene or we're doing a scene or you're rolling dice to see your result, that's what you have to do. And they can grow in all they want to, but it's called Vampire the Requiem. We are vampires? Vampire. Yes. <laughs> I've never heard for. someone say... I've never heard someone say, I don't want to do a feeding scene. I've heard someone say, I don't want to do a feeding scene with Bob. <laughs> right? I've heard that because, because, and here's why Bob doesn't skip a thing. If you put down there, I have a, you know, my characters, I exclude this or I'm repelled by crosses or water screws me up. What do you think I'm putting in the scene? <laughs> what exactly do you think I'm doing? Get. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing everything to make it exactly what it is, whether comical or otherwise, to give you a chance to overcome what you said your character has to face every night. Why? You you asked for it. That's why you put it on your sheet, because it had interest to you and you wanted to role play those things. And I'm not saying I do it every time, but definitely for the first scene, the first time we do it. Oh, yeah, let's let's explore it a little bit. Let's see how you figure out how to deal with it. And, and you do it with that player. And if the player goes, nah, man, I, I don't play this for that. Then you look at them and go, good, then play elsewhere. Right. And you're perfectly southern because no offense, it's a waste of your time. If somebody comes to you to sit down, I just want to roll dice and crush it. Yeah, it's called D&D. You can play with the other 13-year-olds at the table over there. That's what Mm -hmm. it's there for. 
Now I've heard D and D played where people got into it, and you needed to bring a story. You need to have. You can just sit at the table. You had to hear why they were adventuring and what the big adventure they were on, and sit down to play that character. And you're going to play a character. You're bringing something to add to their fun. You're just going to sit there and add soak up XP and get a magic item, you jackass. No one's going to let <laughs> you do that. So you got you know kind of got to earn your way. And and vampires the same standard. Have that standard at your table that your time's not there to flippantly let somebody else waste. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And if the, and and that's not being too critical. That's literally saying know what you're playing. There's video games where you could do less. You know, go play Blood Hunt. It sounds like you'd enjoy that very much, man. I'd, hey, Team Deathmatch is in. I'm, I took my complaint off the table. It's no longer five minutes to get in the match. We played a whole match, and you can kick my ass. But at least I get to respawn and try again. You know, we're good to go. Uh, but I digress. Looking at it from that perspective, Mike, that's what I say to the people who don't feed. To the people who don't want blood ties and all that added in, it's how you add it in. Mm. Like, I would never tell somebody you feel this family tie to someone and what that means is roll your perception blood potency and aspects to see how strongly you feel it i am robot st this is how i do this no but it's different if you're in a thick of combat and you're beating the shit out of this cop who was giving you lip and he pulled you over and for some reason this cop's taking an inordinate amount of damage but you don't care you're a deva and in front of the girl that you seduced into your car he's trying to he's trying to bully you so now you're beating his ass and you're in front of a traffic light and you just feel this impulse of utter contempt. And you don't know what the hell that is. And so suddenly you stop for a brief moment and a storyteller tells you, um, it's your option if you wish to try to you know, feel this out. It doesn't take any time and really it's just a thought. And then you make your roll and the ST goes, well, no matter what it is, you feel this impulse strongly coming from the rooftop on top of that building but you got to deal with this cop in this situation before you move on how do you do it shit i just leave my car and everything why that might be a reaction there is an elder or something that is older than you that is able to project its emotions through there or not even project you detected it out of a sense of danger your beast knows i came from this source or something closer to it that I now can feel I've displeased it somehow. Now, I'm not looking to sycophantly run up to it and go, oh, what did I do wrong? But I am looking to avoid an ass whooping. Right. Right, whatever it was. It warrants me going to see what's going on. And it disinvites a dramatic uh, occurrence uh, to happen, and that's the only reason ST would do it. And also, you you reserve the right to turn it off or turn it on. It should be used Mm -hmm. to dramatic effect. That's what those three things are for. That's all I'm saying. It's, It's something that I think is very much worthy of highlighting on here because if you're looking for that vampiric influence that's exactly what those things are you know the hold that someone has over you it's pretty simple um i apologize co-signed got it so the last but definitely not least we're looking at is the uh the elder the elder is uh is a very terrifying game to want to play it's straight up about vampiric influence but not like you think so if the other stuff was what do we have we have you were a human realizing you're a monster. Well, now you're the monster, and that was neonate. And then as an ancilla, you're the monster realizing you're an actual vampire. And how do you fit into the society with your other, you know, because a monster thinks they're solitary always, or it's mm-hmm. just us that happened to. But then when you realize you're a vampire and I belong to a society and there's a hierarchy, oh, shit, that's the deep end. You got to figure out how to do that as that ancilla. Well, an elder, an elder is you're just completely a monster. So, so you're a vampire absolutely with no humanity whatsoever sometimes you know or barely anything left to resemble it what does that mean 
what did you guys think of that style of play? Because considering, remember, just a reminder, in a tier three elder, you don't deal with the neonates in the Ancilla. So I think I think that that style of play is especially inviting. Um, what is what is the word for that? Uh, like a like like escapism form of entertainment. I don't think most people in their life know what it's like to reach the pinnacle of something, and one be unsatisfied by it, two be unburdened, and three have to figure out what to do now that you have all the things that you thought you would never get. Right. So that style of play for me, it raises a real interesting like the real life question that you get to explore in game. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if the, if the issue wasn't resources? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's super tempting, enticing for me to play at that level. Hmm. I, um, there were two themes that were introduced here that I found very key, um, that intrigued me the most. The first theme was, um, it literally just says fuck local. Right. And that's because, as we've spoken to you before, <laughs> the the city is everything until it's not, because there's only so much space in between here and there that you'll be able to use. And in this particular case, you have your elders who have now made it to such a tier that they have to start looking elsewhere. And I like the fact that it goes like, well, humanity is mobile. I don't necessarily have to be, but it doesn't mean I can't play the game where I start pushing forth my influence elsewhere to at least set up my power base, because your influence is going to be more than the city because there's only so many shared resources. So I thought that one was pretty cool. The next one that I thought was really interesting, and I think that players try getting into this mindset, but they're, they're, they're just not at that power level to match it, which is um, the individual's key. The, the individual is king. My apologies. Where we talk about when originally we create our groups, we do so as a coterie because we're all banding together to be able to get to a common goal. But as you get to this elder level, it's not that they don't hang out, but the reasons for them hanging out are different. Now it's pretty much not even like-minded individuals as much as it is individuals who just have something to talk about getting together and seeing whether or not they could play a game for one night, maybe two, if they want to. I like I, that. Those, those two parts of the theme regarding elders are what kind of drew my attention towards it. When, when I thought about it, the mistake of an elder game is to get together and believe it's all going to be draconian influence of institutions as puppeteer. Hmm. That you're going to all sit around and basically play Ancilla with real power. And still have that much humanity to do what you can and think of what you're going to do next. That's that's not what they're saying. They're saying if you're an elder, you don't get you don't get to hold back is what it's saying. That's not what this is about. Um, this is where power is the theme. That's the point. That the human you is barely recognizable at all, and you don't have fog of memory. That's that's the thing to important. They just kick it out the window. We don't want a weakness in here. We want you to experience what's going on. Uh, they even made it to where there was alternate rules where, you know, everything that happens to you is bashing if it's not supernatural. Right? To enhance what can be going on for that elder and make it even harder to deal with it. Um, that which cannot disappear, basically. You know, your humanity loss even becomes something that's just a swap tenant, mechanically. Where you're about to lose humanity as an elder in this mode? No, you don't. Instead, we look at why you're losing the humanity, and instead, we make you swap the tenant for it so that there you go you keep where you're at it's just now it's different it's a slow erosion of your way of thinking and the way it's been which i thought was the most brilliant shit i read 
when it yeah. comes to morality yeah. in a long time. That, that because if it, scale, yeah, 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 it makes sense. It says, "Here you go. You want to be this sawed off psycho? Well, you don't get to play the sawed off psycho when it's convenient." That it's a hair trigger. Now I'm going to remind you that the last time you encountered cops, you said, hey, a cab, they're just humans. But then when for some reason your best buddy became a cop and you were helping him with your vampiric influence and he gets in trouble, I'm going to remind you that you don't give a shit about him anymore. He was dumb enough to become a cab. So he gets to be a cop popsicle for you whenever you determine. And you go, but he's my bu- 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 best friend. And I go, look at your <laughs> humanity tenant. Cause you butchered others and didn't care. Now what is it now? And we're, and we're perfectly capable to see what happens, but how that degeneration works out, you don't get off scot-free. It does come at a cost. And so mm-hmm. without getting too much into it, basically made for like, you know, every, um, for every two blood potency you end up getting, you get a mild derangement for the age itself. And even on this is that as you're slowly uh, sw- uh, swapping tenants, one of the things is it gets harder and harder to relate to humans. You're suffering negatives with that. So at every point where you're uh, you're swapping the tenant at and it gets worse, remember the negative socially to any Ojo Schmo human that doesn't owe you any fealty or loyalty based on what you are, you know, out of your influence, which only made sense because you're this thing now. And it gives some very strong insights as to what you are as a vampire at an elder. Case in point, and one of my favorite, I like the Deva Gangrel comparison. They describe a Deva being something that hunts by its deadly sin. A Deva only knows the sin it has. If you're a glutton, you live for feeding and that's it. Everything is about you getting more blood. In all sorts of capacities, that's what you love to do. And you just drain and drain and try and eat and rare things and all that. But that's your pleasure, is the blood itself. And and that's basically the core tenet of your character. Anything else outside of that that David could honestly care less about. It's not something they wake, they waste their nights trying to wonder why and how. And the cool thing about that was, man, you're really seeing the instincts of the creature being, being the focus. And I literally mean creature. It's an alien mindset. How do I not care about, I don't know, what about the Princeton? What about me getting a position and the hounds I hired and everything else? Secondary. In <laughs> fact, I only care about them if the Prince brought me blood to listen to her again. And if the hounds were uh, filled with blood so I could try them out. That that's where it comes down to. I might do it as a greeting. When you show up, I hand you a cup for you to bleed into so I can taste what you've been up to. And I'm a Deva <laughs> Glutton. It's alien customs like that you can get into. And um, it, it goes by all the seven deadly sins. In fact, they they say enhance that and focus on it because that's what the Deva were about. That's where it's at. Um the uh, well about the vices anyway, which attach the seven deadly sins. The gangrel we're about straight up being, well, the quote they use is binary, and I think it fits very well. Everything is black and white. It's it's do it or don't do it. It's instinct. If I'm hungry, I eat, and nothing fucking else matters. And that's what they are. And so they give in to these impulses, and they're out in the woods doing their thing and give a shit about the fog of memory because they're doing them a favor. With no fog of memory, no problems. If I don't remember who I am, I could focus on being what I am now, and that is a monster. And I'm good to go. And that's the gangrel elder mindset that can pack together and be something very dangerous. But then they add that brilliant throw in where they go, if it sounds like there's no real difference between the deva and the gangrel, um, you're kind of right, except for this one. The deva play on human vices as an elder. 
they blend in and they completely control the humans to basically be be demons and devils to them through the vices. That's what they become as an elder. That's the end game for them. Whereas the Gangrel, they do that, but to the animal side of what they are. They just haunt these areas, but they're very sim- uh, similar in a way they do it. And then I like how they go, just a thought. Why don't you blend a crew of Deva and Gangrel elders and see what you get? I bet you get a group of Gangrel that stalk the city with their Deva friends, black and white, instinctual, with Deva who are getting down with that mentality because it seems cool. It's definitely <laughs> a fun way to do it. Or the Gangrel who go, screw that, let that human go and see how far he gets. And the Deva go, oh, I love where this is going. And they're going into the woods. Yeah, I finally get to tap into my wild side. And the gang are like, now that's what I'm fucking talking about. And there's a there's there's play here. What's that saying? Clan is almost siblings. We get what you're about to such a level that when you get past the society and what we are, and oh my god, we're not human anymore, and you are just the creature you were meant to be, man, they get along pretty good. And that's a terrifying prospect in a game. Um I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed looking at that as an elder game. But the uh, other fun thing is that this book doesn't stop there. I didn't just think of Gangrel and Deva in that. They go in depth. They mm. tell you exactly what the elder mindset of a Deva and a Gangrel will be. Nosferatu, Maquette. They also do a unique thing where they separate everybody by the clans they are to get you to rethink. It's a reapproach to the clans themselves. Did you guys agree with the reapproach? I did. Um uh, and the reason why I did per tier is because the, the stereotype that's currently written, because in the core book, it gives you an idea of what it thinks you should be all encompassing. But once again, and uh, this book tells you it was done with an ancilla in mind. But as you start getting away, it gives you more of the mindset of what would happen as driven by the beast, much like you mentioned the same with Deva, their, their vices just start taking more hold and you'll start seeing where it starts to come in. I, I, I liked the presentation of it because it's not only with that, it's with the covenants as well, but I, I definitely liked what they do with the clan, especially with the Mechit. The Mechit was pretty interesting, but that's because I think that's the oddest one out of the five that show up. Yeah, yeah, I was on the same page as DJ. It, it's one thing to read a core rule book and say, you know, gangrel tend to be park rangers and they like the taste of animal blood. It's another thing to shine the light of the clan through a prism and say, depending on how old you are or what covenant you're attached to, or, you know, whatever your local circumstance is, whoever is in your coterie, here's how you might role play a gangrel inside that frame. Super useful. Loved it. What I enjoyed with the, with the read of the clan, it's what all of them should have been in the first place. And that's what I think the author was trying to say. That did they call it alternate, but this is what it should have been in the first place. But that's not what sell books. That wouldn't sell the book. And you know that. I was looking at the uh, Requiem 2E and looking at the clans and how they did it. And they're very succinct. And the artwork takes up most of the description space that they could have used to explain it. And that's the reason why they didn't go that method. They got to throw art there. They got to sell the book. They got to have it in there to where you're like, oh, I think I might want to play that. That seems hot. Look at that. Oh, how interesting. Egyptian symbol. Ooh, I wonder what that is about. And then you dive in and then, you know, because you're not really reading. You're not really reading. Uh, That's why I hate sales. That's really the reason why I hate sales is because it's all about, ooh, shiny. And then you realize you bought a lemon and you got to go back to the drawing board at some point. What this book does is go, look, man, nah, man, Bob, we got you. We, We knew 
that's how you would feel. And you were probably asking this question through every Requiem podcast. Where the fuck does it explain why they made the clan and what sense would it make to play it? Can you just fucking explain that? Where is it? And they're like, it's right here, stupid. It's yeah. in this book. We couldn't put it in the books you want to, but we agree with you. It should have been there. Now, now, why? Is it that I didn't get it? No, it's not that I didn't get it. It's that whenever you have people who you're trying to get to play Requiem, what do they always say? I got four I got four books to tell me about playing a gangrel in Vampire the Masquerade. So why the hell do I need to play Requiem since I know all about them in Vampire the Masquerade? So what's going to make me play? And you're like, well, if you read this cool book, they're like, they like the wild. And they're, you know, they got claws. And they, they do an animal still. Man, it's the same shit they do. In- yeah, you're right. I just, I'm trying to put it in words. Man, it's different. You got to play the game to see the field to understand. No, I don't. Fuck. All right. Well, now... Dance, dance the dead here goes, why do you want to play a gangrel in the first place? They throw it back at you as the player. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. here's what they're about. Here's yeah. their origins. Here's a quote to give you an idea of who they are. Here's what their structure's like and what it would mean to play it from a physical, mental, or social aspect and what you can go with. Here's the theme we had in mind when we made it. And here's the feel and some of the concepts you might go with a gangrel. But ultimately, before you say yes... What is the reason you want to play this clan in the first place? And here's some ideas of why we think you might want to play it. Because if you're interested in the wild animals, the hunt, the instinct, dominance games, getting away from society, being yourself in a world of power, letting go your humanity to ride the wild side, you might want to play Gangrel. And suddenly, everybody who's a fan of Requiem can look at vampire masquerade players and go, this is the book you need to read. Then go check that shit out. Because you need to read about the clans before you shit all over it. It's that simple. Mm. Like, for instance, if you were me walking around going, the McKetter are just another Malkavian. <laughs> Malkavasambra. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. You like combine clans and did shit. Oh, no, they didn't. No, they fucking didn't. Now, there are diehard Maquette fans I ran into that didn't know how to articulate it, that got disgusted too soon, didn't take the patience, didn't have time for it. If you don't know, then you just shouldn't be playing it. Or <laughs> stop being a mushmouth and slow down and realize that I'm not looking to play something crazy that can hide. Well, Maquette aren't crazy. They can hide, but they, they do get a little nutty because, well, their shadows play tricks. on What are you talking about? You sound nutty right now describing it. Like, what do you get at? And then I get this book and they're like, oh, the maquette. Well, here's the thing. Let us tell you about a maquette elder before anything else. A maquette elder who sits around for centuries absorbing all this knowledge in their mind's eye, who is fighting the fact that they think they don't exist anymore. Because for some strange reason, they're in the habit of when they sit still, nobody knows they exist. And the world just goes around them. They've had entire spiders build webs around them when they sat to read one book. And they don't recall the last time they got up to go to bed. And they don't need to. Here they are and here they sit. It's like they're invisible to reality. However, if anybody talks to them, it's an impossible feat because this maquette knows so much. Centuries are in their brain that when you talk to them, can you imagine? Because this frightened me, actually, of a maquette NPC that's an elder that you go to to ask about World War One, and it chuckles. I do mean it because it's a fucking it. And it chuckles and it goes, did you know that the aspects of World War One, II, Vietnam, everything else, are just small power plays that originated back when uh, Alexander the Great conquered the known empires and really brought empires to the front stage? What are you talking about? Everything <laughs> tactically that's been issued on the field since then has been basically a combination of cultures. There's been nothing original about the atrocity inflicted on the field. 
nothing at all. In fact, if you really want to know, mankind hasn't evolved for over 10,000 years. Mankind's only been around for like that, right? It's like, like was there's a movie like 10,000 BC and it does something creepy like, <laughs> no, we've, we've, we've been here a little longer than that, I'm afraid. Are you that old? Am I? And then it looks over to its shadow and you realize it fades because you've been talking to its shadow. <laughs> right? And then meanwhile, you're done brushing your teeth. You go, hey, guys, remember, I sprung for the theater tickets. Do you want to go out and watch that movie now? It's been a while since I've been out, you know? And everyone's <laughs> like, you know, we're cool. We're really cool. And I said to myself, that's not a crazy person. It's really not. That's somebody trapped and condemned in a cage of their own power, and they don't even realize it. Like, you have to be a strong caretaker to handle it. And I went, what a brilliant clan. What a brilliant way to showcase that. However, if you were a masquerade player who just saw another Malkavian and dove in because they're your favorite and a new way to play it, you were going to miss an entire ship Mm. that was intended However, had you read this book and saw the description of the clan in this light, I guarantee you, you never would have made that mistake and would have got it in one. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The sauce. The sauce is tasty. (laughs) Uh, But all that said, I want to round this out with a final thing here, guys, Um, because I thought real hard and said, I can't I can't decide. What did you think of the masquerade and Requiem mask? as separate tracked mechanics. Do you think that helped players or that would trap players? So it could do either. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. I I pulled, I pulled what I always lecture you guys about for the listeners. What this book says that there's a masquerade background that you can take really an advantage. And what it does is, is the masquerade represents how well you keep up your human facade literally the masquerade you're supposed to keep up how well you are at it but also every player has to choose a requiem one and how well you're doing in vampire society and you would build this based on concept you would start out with it but there are ratings you're confined to the mechanics to how well you're doing to say this for mechanic conversation each level offers advantages distinct advantages and usages to sort of tailor and help you realize how you would blend in to both societies doing what you're trying to do that's that's it. That's it in a nutshell. However, let me get back to that question, Mike. Please, if you remember it. Yeah. Um, so it could it could be a open door or it could be a limiter. But in either case, it felt like a super expedient, easy to understand on ramp to role play. Because when I when I first got to that part of the book, I looked at it and I said, oh, okay, there's a new merit. Every book's got to have some new mechanics in it. This book has a bunch of them. Great. I'm reading through the dots. And then I get to the point where it starts explaining, here is a mask. You could be an artist or you could be a criminal. And this is what you do among people. And it's a page of description of how that person like might approach their lifestyle. And then you get to the, you know, the Requiem part and it's the same thing. You have a mask, you have a Requiem, blah, blah, blah. And it occurred to me, this could just be any combinations of whatever. And it's almost a character's personality and lifestyle that builds itself. It's like a quick start guide. If you take any two of those and put them together, it doesn't even matter. Um, I got that same impression. Yeah. Did you... 
go ahead. Since you you put you put it great, you put it great. But what I'm asking you directly, then let's just jump to the chase. Do you find that that should be the way it's done, or do you feel it actually gets in the way? I think that's the way it should be done the first time. (laughs) If you're if you're somebody like me who just like gets an image of a movie character in their mind, they want to play that guy, but they don't have a strong grip on what that person's life might be like. You should do it this way the first time. Once you've done that, played through that character, you probably won't need it again. But it's still exquisite, in my opinion. Okay. DJ. I think it was the sneaky, sneaky brilliance of being able to use both the Masquerade and Requiem. Because if we had this in, in Masquerade, as in V20... This would be such an easier way to get players to actually stick to their nature and demeanor. Right? It encourages mm-hmm. you. It gives yep. you the blueprint. There's no way you could deviate from it. It even gives you bonuses for the Cambro in you to incentivize you to act to that nature <laughs> and demeanor, right? Because there's so many cool ones written in here. And it gives you, like, the, the, not only does it give you a concept for what it is that you want to play or that you would play, but you can match it to a Requiem or to a Masquerade. I thought it was a great tool. I, I, if only because it takes so much space in the book, I can imagine why they put it in there. And, you know, some may see it as a crutch. I don't. I see it as a way to bolster your character anyway, and I just find it as a more creative way of adding more points um, to balance your character out. I liked it a lot. And to me, like I said, if we had this instead of nature and demeanor in the past, you could only imagine how many people would have been, like, more, you know, involved with acting it out instead of just saying, all right, name this, name this. Here's the thing. I think it's exhausting for a storyteller to use a tool like this. That's my problem. I think if you're doing so much work with a new crowd that you have to explain to them how an artist might live in life because they don't want to look it up or they want to be a cop, but they don't want to look it up. And you got to build this masquerade for them to see how they might live their life in that. And they don't want to put that much effort in. You got a lot more work than just worrying about how that person's going to act as a vampire. This becomes very hard to do. Um, but when I thought about it, I said, but if you did a little work in advance and you summer run a game and here's the 18 occupations of masquerade that I have available for you to choose. And since we only have 10 players, I want you guys to pick one and then whoever picks one that's not available to anybody else and go through and pick that. But everybody starts at one on Requiem because that's where everybody starts. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Right, because or depending on the tiers you want to do, if you want to go that far, and I said to myself, "Okay, that could be useful, but this is still a lot more work." Now, me, I detest work. I'm just going to say that when it comes to vampire game, I feel I feel there's so much material, books and stuff out that I have to research, put a game together, do the story, figure out how you click together, sit down with players, see what they want to play, talk with them, have them facilitate them talking together to figure out what they want to do, how they want to be, and how they want to act, and see if this is the game for them. Uh, in the final end, and then, okay, you agree to play, let's play, let's do it. Now I'm telling the story to boot, and I'm helping them tell their story, and I'm helping them play that character. Why am I going to add the half that is the player half? Right? And then this book goes, but you're not. All you got to do is put Masquerade, one dot, and we did that work for you. And that's where I said it's brilliant. About that extended part you guys are talking about, where it's like, oh, well, here, pick your template, and blah, blah, blah. Shit. I'm more likely to hand out the blank template and tell them to fill it out. <laughs> right? Put your occupation, tell me what that does, and tell me what your networks are. Bob, I need help. I'm glad to help you every day. 
But what I'm not going to do is do this for you. That's for certain because you're putting in an order to be long in the game. Damn it! Let's figure this out. And uh, that that's me. But that's a. Uh, not taken away from anything that either one of you said. I see this as a very useful tool for somebody who's brand new. And my mom was always one of those ones who would occasionally go, "What you doing with that D and D? What you do? What Shadowrun? You know what's going on with Vampire? You know?" And she'd get curious and come over to that quizzical eye. She goes, "Oh, that's pretty cool. What's this do? Oh, that's I could have a lot of fun with that." And she would talk about that a little bit. Mom, you want to play? She goes, "Hell no." And she give that quizzical eye, but then she dove right into Anne Rice novels to talk to me all about talk to me all about that to bond on that level, which told me eh, probably shy at acting, just didn't feel comfortable about sitting down and you know doing that thing, or didn't want to play with people like twenty years younger than her. But the point is, that's uh, that's that's a hurdle for some people. And what this says to me is that if you get a player to sit down and realize that the parts they think they have to make up on their own, they don't, and there is a mechanic to help them through it if they need it. It's a great idea. And so to me, it's great it exists in this book. It's even better that they do get what I feel is pedantic that's you know useful the first time, though. I get it. I get it. It's just for me, eh, I don't, I don't like to hold hands that much. I like to help out your new, let's do it, I'll spend time with you as an ST in scene. But ultimately, we can, we can rap about how you want to run things and how you want to be. But if you're new to everything, tell me up front, and I got all the time in the world for you. It's the same thing. We're back to communication. But I often feel these books are written for somebody to make their character on their own and no real consideration for a storyteller to be in front of them, even though they say, oh, no, you're sitting down with the troop and your ST is there when you make it. Mm-hmm. We know reality is far different from their ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think yeah. and right. I hope that we start seeing a series of books that take that into account, that players like to read alone on their time and present the final work to a storyteller. That's their preferred choice. And uh, I, th- I think we'll start getting pay uh, traction when we come to that. But, uh, hey, that's all, all the time we got right now for everybody. We hope you enjoyed our sort of our gentle go through of what's in the Dance Macabre. Check it out. It's a decent book for Requiem and Awesome Add on, in our opinion. I can already tell that uh, before I ask you guys your final comments here. Uh, but I also want to add that we're going to continue this with uh, Bonds of the Covenant. We're going to start on for our patrons to go through uh, some more of this book and maybe tackle some of that atrocity guy we hinted at was shocked you guys didn't bring it up this time around but i also understand that's something you probably want to reveal in uh in uh behind the scenes where uh we can kind of get a little rowdy with it and that's good mm-hmm. um so uh thank you mike thank you dj and uh, you guys got any parting comments um nah man just what i said before this is this is the crutch it is it is the exquisite gold-plated crutch that i think every st should have in their toolkit Man, I don't view it as a crutch, but that's because we'll talk about it, but we'll also talk about it on the Patreon more. But I, I definitely <laughs> enjoyed this book for that reason. But we liked it so much, we're going to be talking about it later. So just stay tuned for it. I'm excited to, to continue deep with it. All right. Thanks, everybody. It's good to be back. Oh, by the way, thank you both for holding on the fort while I was, uh, while me and Mo were busy with the baby, man. Thank you, guys. You got it, oh, sir. Oh, yeah. No problem. Great time. <laughs> we'll catch y'all later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.